3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I've been one to make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain us, but to educate us and teach. Put this thing in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This is one tough market. Dow was down 895 points today for rallying to close down 257 points. S&P fell 1.71 percent. NASDAQ lost 1.87 percent. And that's after a fabulous late day bounce from much lower levels. I think that 3.30 p.m. rally that took a lot of people's breaths away was really started with short sellers who were covering or closing out the positions because they're now getting concerned that one of these drug companies working on drugs that would lessen lethality of Corona may have had some success. But fear is more powerful than greed, and this selling is uh, driven by a justifiable f- fear of the future, coupled with the fear of catching COVID-19 yourself. It's an unnerving combination, and it's threatening to bring commerce to a full stop in this country. Aside from the pallets of, yeah, you guessed it, Pirel passing through the portals of America's now shaky retail establishments. We just got through a roller coaster of a week marked by the emergence of some terrifying sector bear markets. It's oil and gas. I don't know if you look at that. You know, I hate the stocks. Wow. Justified. Travel and leisure. Mm, Retail, some better than others. And the hideous financials are all of which are worrisome because the borrowers are so numerous in that sector, in those sectors. And they're so big that they could actually hurt. Lenders, this market's repealing long standing gains in some sectors with breathtaking speed. But honestly, those moves pale in comparison to the fast and furious decline in U.S. Treasury yields. The tenure is now paying you just 0.77%. That's down from 0.92% yesterday. It's stunning. If I weren't Jimmy Chill, I would say it's insane! Right now, the bond market's calling too. Bond prices are blasting new record highs while their yields, of course, make record lows. They might as well be screaming at you to sell all your stocks before the coronavirus-induced recession hits. And irony of ironies, the bond market's screaming this just as we got still one more phenomenal employment report this morning. Some great hiring numbers, but those figures are already being dismissed as rear-view mirror-gazing. The market senses that something dreadful is right around the corner, a fallout, a freeze-up, and we might see the signs of it when we come into work on Monday. So what, with that in mind, why don't we go to our game plan of another what I think is going to be very shaky week. Next Monday morning, we're going to be greeted by the tally of new coronavirus estimates, and I've got to tell you, I think those define this market. We care about the numbers from China where the regime's totalitarian methods seem like they've gotten the situation under control. But of course, we care about the numbers of the rest of the world, where the virus is spreading like wildfire. More importantly, from our perspective, it's spreading here. The whole country's on edge because we have no defenses against this disease, no immunity, no vaccine, no treatment. And the government's response, at least to many, leaves a lot to be desired. Put it all together, and it's possible, we'll continue to see an exponential increase in the number of cases. If that keeps uh, up, then you can expect Treasury yields will plummet even further. Yes, they could even go to zero. They might even go negative. I've spoken to dozens of people trying to figure out if it's just the fear factor that's driving the bond market, and I get mixed reports, everything from total flight to quality to total manipulation. It doesn't really matter, though, because in the end, the new cases are the new cases and new deaths have more to do with the direction of the stock market than the fundamentals. I sure wish the Chinese would sell their trillion dollars in bonds already, don't you? We need that supply. Remember, that was like our biggest worry for years? (laughs) We're banging in the zone. Now, you know what? The moment we stop paying attention to the fundamentals, that was the moment we lose our rigor. That's why I can't wait to hear what Four Industries has to say when it reports on Monday morning. Thor's the biggest maker of recreational vehicles around. And I'm betting they're going to give us a lot of the insight to the state of the consumer. Big discretionary goods here. Their inventories, they tend to bloom when people are scared to death. The company's been a very good barometer of the economy. Uh, People use that overused cliche canary in a coal mine, but they actually do fit that. Uh, This used to be a heavily linked, uh, heavily linked to oil and gases. Gasoline prices went down, Thor went up no more. Uh, Oil fell 10 percent today. It's an astonishing collapse. But I bet it means nothing for Thor, the stock, because, well, what really matters is whether you want to shop for an RV during a pandemic. And to close, we're going to hear from Stitch Fix. That's the online subscription service that's like having a digital uh, personal shopper. Remember, we visited them in San Francisco. This company has an impressive track record of profitability with a stock that's now down 11% this year. Has something changed? Is the business still thriving? I suspect Stitch Fix model is ideal for this environment, but we'll see. You want something that's working here and can keep working? Well, how about Franco, Nevada? Now, that's, I'm sorry, Franco, Nevada. I got a lot of criticism from Nevadans this week that I should pronounce it like I'm from Philadelphia, which I am. It would be Nevada you know, if you're from 10th and South or from 3rd and Arch. Anyway, uh, these are companies, this is a company with mixed streams of royalties and mineral resources, including, of course, gold. You know, I think gold's the perfectly positioned commodity because it's a safe haven in times of economic chaos. While I do try to stay chill at all times, uh, it is difficult to contain myself when I see someone flock into my Twitter file and say, hey, uh, do you like gold? I mean, for heaven's sake, I've liked gold for practically the whole 15-year run of mad money. an anniversary we celebrated this morning when we rang the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange. I was hoping you had that. Jeez, I look fat. No, you don't. I don't look fat. Okay. Wrong with you? Hey, there's my, there's my nephew, Cliff Mason, right behind. Just, he's our, our head writer, our only writer. Anyway, he's the guy who went down like this. It's exciting for me. Now, as the consumer goes underground, let's find out when Dick Sporting Goods reports, okay? Now, uh, last time it delivered a monster good number. Remember, the outbreak won't be included in these results, but management here is so transparent that I bet they'll give us a look and feel for the past few weeks. I don't know about you, but I'm refinancing my house, getting an amazing rate as the 10-year settled at seven point seven seven percent And that is a record low, by the way. But are people still buying new homes with this newfound accidental affordability? Well, we'll know more when we see the latest mortgage application numbers Wednesday morning. I gotta tell you, if they're not up, then you're going to hear recession, recession, recession. Thursday's chock full of goodreads. We hear from Dollar General oh, my competitor Dollar Tree at a not so hot quarter. Dollar General's been hitting it out of the park. This discount retailer's made fortunes for its shareholders, and I bet it shines even in an all coronavirus world. Hey, speaking of red hot retailers, how about Ulta Beauty, which well, got an upgrade today, right in the teeth of the sell-off? I'm torn here. I think people buying Ulta here seem to believe it's recession-proof, but I'd say it's recession-resistant. I'm concerned about anything retail here, though, especially a, a, a hair salon component. Well, you can't, get, you can't get your hair done through Amazon yet. After the close, we get results from Broadcom, which is symbol AVGO, and Adobe. Broadcom's a hybrid of semiconductor parts, including parts for Apple and software, thanks to its CA acquisition. Good yield. We own it for the Chapel Trust. Why don't you follow along by joining the ActionAlordsPlus.com club? A lot of bulletins today. As for Adobe, it has the ability to allow some separation between tech and everything else. Why? Because you can use the Adobe software from home if you need to stay home. It allows you to be, uh, how do you say, more creative than you'd be otherwise. If they see a slowdown, then Friday's going to be nasty. It's a big company. Uh, Finally, there's Gap, which just appointed a new CEO, Sonia Singal who previously ran the old Navy division and ran it well. Will it matter? With retail, you never know. But a big chunk of Gap is mauled apparel, and mall has been getting mauled, couldn't resist, weakest leak in the chain. On Friday, we're supposed to hear from Illinois Tool Works. Now, why did I put this up? Certainly nothing about with Illinois Tool I did it because the analyst meeting was canceled because, well, there's a massive wave of canceled events, and I think I don't have to tell you why that is. But think of these cancellations as a reminder this is not business as usual, and in many cases, it's no business at all. The only thing we really lack next week is the we read on travel. Cruise lines, for example, they traded multi-year lows today for a little bit of bounce at the end of the day. I wonder, midday, there was a bounce, too. I wonder if these dividends are sustainable for Carnival and for Royal Caribbean. The region's stock has already paid the prices down more than 50%. I'm sure the airlines are better than the cruise lines, but how much better? They spent a lot of money in buying back stock. Ouch! Bottom line, pay attention to what these companies have to say next week, but don't forget that at least for the moment, COVID-19 is in the driver's seat. Let's go to Mike in Florida, please. Mike. You got Mike there? Mike. Yeah, this is Mike. Speak to me. Hey, uh, I'm calling about AMC,
1: the theater. Um, I'm looking for some cheap stocks and I came across this stock and
3: it it, well, it, I mean that's a, a it, that's a coronavirus stock. Now they uh, they did just do something rather extraordinary. They um, they eliminated the dividend buyback stock. That was actually smart, uh, I think. But I still think it requires it re- relies on gatherings, and if you have to gather right now, it's a no no fly zone. Judith in Alabama, Judith. Hello, Jim. I'm a long time investor. Thank for you. Listening to you. All right. Thank you. What's up?
4: Well, I inherited around twelve hundred shares of Boeing Big. at ninety three dollars basis in twenty thirteen mm-hmm. and have sold six hundred in twenty eighteen. Oh good. The Boeing stock rose up to four hundred plus and now it was in a nosedive with the various problems the company is having and then with the coronavirus. Right. I need to know what to do with my other six hundred. I, oh.
3: I don't want to I I don't want to sell Boeing down here, um I didn't like that article in the New York Times about David Calhoun it made the company seem, I think, much worse than it is. I don't think the company's bad. Uh, I think the company made mistakes. I don't think it's a bad company. That's only based on a 100-year look. Maybe I should be um, more concerned about the last five minutes. Uh, but I don't want you to sell both of them. All right, next week, pay attention to earnings, but realize that the coronavirus is in control. Well, man, tonight is Splunk and a funk. Or is the type of stock you should circle back to amid the market turmoil? I'm talking with the CEO. Then, as the coronavirus continues to spread, where are investment opportunities if America goes into the bunker? Yeah. Stay indoor place. I'm revisiting my stay-at-home portfolio. And with the market heading lower today, I'm talking with one of the wisest women on Wall Street to find out her take on the volatility and what to do. Do not miss my sit-down with Ellie vests founder, Sally Krawchak, and stay with Freeman.
0: You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.
3: When the market turns this ugly, nobody has time for nuance. If a company with a high-flying stock reports what's looked to be a flawed quarter, we're going to sell first and then ask questions later. We saw this play out in real time on Wednesday night with one of my favorites, Splunk. It's cloud-based software analytics play. It's posted some what people thought were confusing numbers. I didn't. While the company delivered better-than-expected sales and inline earnings, management's guidance did fall short for some, both for the next quarter and the full year. In response to stock plunge from 155 to 139 as of today, and it was already down 20 bucks from its highs going into the quarter. However, I think this is a snap judgment, and it may be wrong. Spunk's in the process of changing its business model. Instead of selling software licenses, make up lots of money up front. They're prioritizing a subscription-based model that generates lots of recurring revenue. That's the metric. We've seen this transition before from other software companies. While it can be confusing at first, it tends to be very lucrative for those who stay with it. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Doug Merritt, the president and CEO of Splunk, to get a better sense of the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Merritt, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Thank you, Jim. Very excited to be here. And uh, congratulations again on 15 amazing years.
3: Uh, you're very kind. Thank you, Doug. It was a big day for us. Thank you. Hey, I want to get right to it in the sense that I went over your quarter several times and I try to do it without looking at the stock, Doug. And to me, you can correct me if I'm wrong. This is maybe your best quarter. You've had, and I <laughs> thought the guidance was good and strong. Now, am I just a dreamer or uh, because that was not the consensus view?
1: So um, as you highlighted at the beginning of the show, we have been going through a transition from a perpetual licensed company to a renewable company. Um, we've actually transitioned now 99% in Q4 of all revenue, all transactions to term and cloud. That's a huge shift. But within that shift, we also are growing a cloud business like crazy, from 0% of our business in ARR being cloud five years ago to 35% of software bookings being cloud. Um, On an annual recurring revenue basis, it was a spectacular year, a spectacular quarter, and I think a phenomenal guide over the next three years. Um, If you're looking at gap metrics when a company is going through a transition like we are, that's where I think people can get confused.
3: Yeah, let's go over this number, this ARR, the annual recurring revenue. This has often been the tell for me about when a company that's switching models is really about to explode in earnings, not go down. 54? 54 would lead to me to believe that next year is going to be gigantic. That's the way it's worked. You and I have been around for a long time. We know that ARR is the way to judge the future.
1: I agree completely. If you go back to Q3 of last year, we had a 46% growth rate on our ARR. We just exited Q4 this year to 54%. So we went 46, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54. Unbelievable growth. We guided to 45% ARR growth for this year in front of us and a 40% compound annual growth rate or CAGR over the next three years. So if you look at a Roughly $1.7 billion ARR posting, which is what we just did in this Q4, at a 40% CAGR, that gets you somewhere north of $4.5 billion over four years. When I look at other companies that are awesome category leaders that are fully ARR or subscription-based, like Salesforce or Workday or ServiceNow, that is a growth rate that is at or above anything that they've ever done. And that same trajectory.
3: You are, OK, good, because what I, I think people, I mean, I saw this with Adobe, too, and you, you had to get it ahead because then when, that, when the analysts figure out, I mean, you always think that the analysts must know. It is amazing that they don't. Now, I'm going to talk about a customer that is a Jeff Bezos product. And we all know that Jeff's the smartest man around. Uh, and it's the Washington <laughs> Post. So what does Blanc, let's say, do with the Washington Post? The Washington Post loves you so much.
1: Yeah, so as we've talked about in the past, our our three main Biden centers are the cybersecurity team, the uh, infrastructure team that's got to keep all the digital stuff running, and now with the acquisition of signal effects and omniscient, we're going after the application development team. Washington Post is using us across those core use cases. Uh, they've got a really important new content management system, digital content management system, uh, that we are ensuring stays up. Uh, but it's interesting because we're also helping them analyze the activity from customers across the content that's being published by Washington Post. So in addition to the, the keeping Washington Post running day in and day out, we're also helping them understand what customers are doing on a day-in and day-out basis with the content they post.
3: Okay, so let's just go The We have to do the obvious because it's what's driving everything. Does Does – Blunk have to be face to face in with big deals because you have big deals. Can you really do them with a Zoom video or do we have to (laughs) say, you know what, as long as this thing's going on, we got to work from home, make some phone calls, but we're not going to close anything big.
1: Uh, it's a brave new world, Jim. We're, I think we're all going to learn this in the, in the coming months. Uh, you know, like every other company, or I think like every other company should be doing, we're putting our employees' health and safety first. So we are encouraging people to work from home. Uh, luckily, we are a Zoom customer, a Slack customer. There's a lot of great digital technologies that we can all lean on so we can still move forward with business. Uh, we've got a great install base, 20,000 customers that actively use Splunk. Um, over 80% of our revenues, which we've talked about for many years, come from that install base. My, my hope is that for a lot of the transactions, they're just expansions or additional capabilities from some new products that can be attached to the existing contracts. And we've already got a great relationship with the buyers and procurement. Um, and we'll see. We'll see like we, we all do. I, I, uh, I didn't think well, going into 2020 that I'd be a CEO of a company that was going through uh, something like coronavirus.
3: Well, I mean, we don't necessarily see less demand for Splunk, do we, because of the uh, coronavirus?
1: When I, when I think out of the next two or three years, and even the next few months with coronavirus, we feed into this whole digital transformation right. movement. Um, if, we, if this becomes a new normal and we start to adapt to uh, more of a social distancing or whatever the vernacular is that's, that's popular on today's uh, Twitter feeds, that just means more digital usage. Right. Um, the companies that are that we are all relying on, uh, all the digital properties have Slack as their backbone to make sure that their services work effectively. Um, have Splunk as a backbone. So whether right. it's Slack Splunk. or Zoom or AWS right. as an as a overall customer of ours or a whole host of different Google properties or Facebook. or So if we all turn digital, that, yeah. for me, falls into the trend we've been seeing, which is I now need to make sense of what's happening on that digital environment. I need to okay. make it resilient. I need to make it safe, which means more Splunk.
3: Right, my, my viewers are all going to say, what's touring? Go ahead. Shirt, sure, you always make things shirts meaningful. <laughs>
1: You know, the double entendres that, that we love, uh, Alan Turing. And uh, this actually was my walk-up music, my first year as CEO, to our sales kickoff. Uh, so it was
3: the favorite I pulled out for today. All right. It's good to see you smile. Thank you for your uh, kind words about our 15th. And, yeah, I didn't think that, that any illness is going to stop digitization. That's not the way it works. Thank you so much to Doug Murray, President CEO of Splunk. Good to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you, too. Okay, you have to understand that there are some secular trends that will transcend a virus. Will there be bad days? Absolutely. This stock is now given up as if what's happened is, is the virus shutting down the business. That's not going to be the case. Man, money's back Right.
5: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle.
3: Welcome to the stay-at-home economy. With the coronavirus on the verge of becoming a full-blown pandemic, the going-out stocks keep getting battered. As I've told you over and over, companies that rely on groups of people congregating in one place are right in the blast zone. Airlines, cruise lines, casinos, live entertainment, lodging, and restaurants—they've all been pulverized. And no wonder these industries don't work when people are afraid to go outside. And COVID-19 has us very, very afraid. I'm worried about every one of those industries and the balance sheets within them. They are where the holes are. They and the oil and gas companies have to, let's say, they have me concerned. I'm not hysterical like so many people. I'm concerned. I'd be a joker not to be. But people don't totally stop spending money just because they stop going out. And we still need to find ways to occupy our time. That's why we're embracing the new stay-at-home economy. It's a good theme here. What works in this difficult environment are companies with, with products that you can enjoy from the comfort of your own home. Yes, from the couch. The streaming video services, the video game publishers, the software companies that enable you to work from home, and all the packaged food companies that make it possible to survive even without great taste while not leaving your house. COVID-19 didn't create the stay-at-home economy. You know, we spent years here moving in that direction. I actually started pushing the thesis way back in 2017. But this outbreak's pouring fuel on the stay-at-home fire. So let's revisit the Mad Money Stay-at-Home Economy Index. Yeah, three years ago, we rolled out the first iteration of this list. Domino's Pizza, Wingstop for delivery, PepsiCo for eating at home, Home Depot and TJX for home improvement. The big three video game publishers, Activision, Blizzard, Electronic Arts. Take to Interactive. The two graphics chip makers, AMD and NVIDIA, along with Amazon, Microsoft, and Facebook. Yeah, then we had Ulta Beauty so that you could look your selfie best on Instagram. We also bundled in some experiential economy stocks that really don't work here anymore, like Carnival Hard Pass. Since then, our stay-at-home stocks have rallied an average of 90%, trouncing the 35% gain in the S P 500 over the same period. The only loser in the stay-at-home cohort was, of all things, Ulta, a retailer that never should have been on that list in the first place. They report next week. Over the course of 2017, we added more names. Netflix, obviously. Grubhub for delivery. Alphabet and Apple, because they make it easy to keep yourself entertained on the web or on your phone. In 2018, we added more food stocks. We took about McCormick for spices. I really stand by this one, by the way, in this market. And seasonings. Conagra for package stuff. eh, Just so, so quarter. I recommended Disney, which was just starting to noodle on the streaming idea. Spotify for music. And Prologis for logistics for the stay-at-home economy, which is so, so important because it rests on getting packages to your house on time. And that's what Prologis helps them do. In the video game space, it told us to steer clear of EA and focus on Take-Two and Activision. I started recommending Shopify, too, which has been a spectacular winner. It's up 246 percent since then. And I've got to tell you, Shopify's not done going higher. So which of these stay at home stocks still worth owning? And what stays, what goes? First, the obvious. I want you to forget all the experiential stuff. No ultra beauty, no cruise lines. The experiential economy thesis was struggling even before the coronavirus. Now it's dead, at least until the outbreak's over. Next, let's go over uh, group by group, starting with Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix and Google now Alphabet. These are all straightforward, stay-at-home place. They by the way, uh, very little child exposure to, except for Apple. Um, they're your content providers. They keep you entertained or keep you supplied with necessities. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix and Alphabet are all worth picking at and due to the weakness. I am not as concerned as others that the ad dollars will dry up. People will shop more online so the ad dollars will shift, gravitate. Toward these companies, Apple's a little more complicated because it has significant China exposure, both in terms of its supply chain and as one of its largest markets. Uh, still, it, it's a great long-term story. At times like this, I say stick with my mantra of own Apple, don't trade it. I know a lot of people are banning Apple. Two negative uh, notes just this morning. Could it go down? Of course, it's a stock. I like it. You bet. we got a couple of e-commerce plays like Shopify and ProLogis. I think they're still work. With ProLogis, you can get by this logistics REIT and hold it on for ages. Shopify's a high flyer that's still not very profitable, but that's up to them. So it tends to be a volatile stock. But given that it's now down more than 120 from its highs, you got my permission to start nibbling. Video games. The big publicly traded gaming stocks have been hit or miss over the last couple of years because they were slow on the uptake with some big new trends like Fortnite style free to play games. That said, I still like Take Two Interactive. I know this quarter wasn't perfect. Uh, and I like Activision Blizzard. Activision in particular seems to be the best read on the mobile gaming, which is why it's been outperforming in peers of late, although my chapel trust did sell it. I think you can stick with NVIDIA and AMD too, the latter of which just had a fabulous quarter, but was completely ignored, fabulous I'm sorry, analysts being completely ignored, uh because of COVID nineteen. By the way, it did finish up on the day. If it weren't, if the market had been up today, that stock would be about three. How about the packaged food place? All right, PepsiCo, sticking by that. McCormick, perfect for the moment. Steady Eddie companies that help you eat from home. Oh, and if you get the coronavirus, it can't hurt to replenish your electrolytes with Gatorade from PepsiCo. Delivery, on the other hand, horror show. That's why I spent most of last year telling you to avoid Grubhub before the stock got obliterated. Too much competition. That's it. Domino's and Wingstop are both working. Restaurants that deliver definitely fit into this model. Remember, Domino's had a great last quarter. I like what we've heard from both CEOs. The retailers, I originally recommended TJX and Home Depot as home improvement plays. I like them both, but they don't really fit the stay-at-home business Uh, kind of thesis that I wanted. How about Disney? On the one hand, the stock has pulled back dramatically, even as their streaming service is on fire. On the other hand, Disney's parks will take a huge hit from the virus. Their movie business might have trouble, too. As much as I like this one long term, it's too experiential for the stay-at-home economy index. For those who are wondering about Disney my travel trust, we think that the stock has one more leg down if they have to close the parks. Then there's Spotify, which simply hasn't worked since it started trading here a little less than two years ago. I'm not actually sure why. I'm sick of defending it, though. So I'll take a pass. So we get 15 old stay-at-home stocks. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Alphabet, Shopify, prologist Activision, Take-Two, NVIDIA, AMD, PepsiCo, McCormick, Domino's, and Wingstop. Now, let me add some new ones that directly address the epidemic. First is Costco, which we own for the Chapel Trust. Costco reported a strong quarter last night, even if the stock still got slammed today. Uh, that's a gift. On the conference Costco, call, Co- uh, Costco's management said they're benefiting from the coronavirus as consumers stock up on essentials. It's, uh, it, that's, that calls actually essential reading uh, because... Uh, Glanty, who's the CFO, did such an amazing job. You'll feel like I do if you read it. Second is Etsy, the online marketplace for handicrafts. Uh, As CEO Josh Silverman told us last week, Etsy's a work-from-home facilitator, and they just support a strong quarter. You, you, You can buy it in stages on the way down. All right, well then you had a really good quarter this week. Campbell Soup, exactly what you stock up on when you're worried. You might be stuck at home for weeks in. Can't, we did? Campbell's rallied hard on Wednesday after putting a great quarter. But since then it's given back most of its gains, therefore it's really interesting to me. Now, fourth is one that uh, I've often joked about as Kramer Family it's Okta. That's the cloud-based cybersecurity company that handles your login and your verification credentials. In other words, their technology makes it easier for people to work securely from home. Hey, listen, Okta just reported a blowout quarter last night and their earnings forecast a little lights, so the stock fell. 3 bucks today. You can start buying here and then add more if it goes lower. I think the stock would have been up 20 if the Nasdaq hadn't been obliterated most of the day. And then finally, one that everyone's decided is no good and they're quite wrong, which is Zoom Video. That's a cloud-based video conferencing play. Zoom may be the perfect stock for this moment because companies still need the whole meetings, even if people uh, can't physically come into work. They posted some excellent numbers on Wednesday night, which allowed the stock to surge yesterday, although it's now giving back that entire gain. I say sold to me. Bottom line, after another panic week where the doom and gloom dominated the headlines, I want to help you identify stocks that are worth buying into weakness. And I think these 20 stay-at-home economy plays, and I know there's 20, that's a lot. I, I'm sure someone will take it and steal it, call it an ETF, make 240 I don't know, $8,000 the instant that they do it, and then $4 million, not credit me, and think, you know what? That Kramer's an idiot. He gave it to us for free. You know what I have to say? I'm an idiot. I gave it to you for free. Frederick in New York, Frederick. Booyah, Jim. This is Marco, Frederick's dad. I'm going to put him on the phone. Oh, boy. Here we go, guys.
2: Booyah, Booyah, Jimmy Chill.
3: (laughs) Ah, Jimmy Chill is in the house. Let's go to work.
5: I want to invest my communion money in a company that's run well and gives a good dividend. What do you think about Nike?
3: About Nike? Mm Nike? Nike? I look. I think for someone. I mean, obviously, Frederick's a younger fella. uh, Nike's got a good long-term perspective. Short-term, I think you might find yourself buying some here and buying some at 82. But that's okay, uh, because I think that you'll do fine in the long term. Jimmy Chill is the term that my daughter, my oldest daughter, came with. Dad, you got to chill on the Twitter. You got to chill. You want to be Jimmy Chill, and now everybody seems to like it so much that hey, I can be Jimmy Chill. Doom and gloom are dominating these days, but there are still opportunities out there in the stay-at-home economy. Look at this, including Kramer family fave, Octa. All right, much more Mad Money head. After 15 years at the helm of Mad Money, oh, I've had plenty. No, I'm not tired. I've had plenty of experience in market turmoil. I'll tell you why this moment feels different than the others. Plus, my exclusive with the woman who some call the most powerful woman on Wall Street. I say maybe the most powerful person. I'll ask Sally Krawcheck what she makes of the recent volatility. And she's a friend. All your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Ever since this show began 15 years ago, I've been on a mission to democratize investing, to bring new people into the stock market fold, to empower them. I bring that up because, you know what, Sunday is International Women's Day, and women tend to be underrepresented in finance, and it's unfair. It doesn't have to be that way. This morning, I got to ring the opening bell for New York Stock Exchange with Stacey Cunningham. She's the first female president in the history of New York Stock Exchange. She gave us a great, great history when we were down there. And when it comes to breaking through the glass ceiling, nobody does it like my friend, Sally Kralchick. She's a legendary former head of Merrill Lynch's wealth management business. These days, Sally runs a privately held company called Elevest, which is a digital investment advisor designed for women rather than men. It's a brilliant concept because most things in our society, including financial services, are optimized for men. Even though women run the household finances in 60% of the homes. Let's take a closer look with Sally Krauchek, the co-founder and CEO of Elvest, to hear more about her business and her efforts to promote women in finance. Sally, welcome back to Man Money. <laughs> I know Sally from real forever, life. so it's Sally, first of all, i got to congratulate you. Your business is probably the strongest of anyone in the industry right now, and a lot of it I think has to do with your personality and the idea that you stand for something that isn't just the commission.
4: Yeah, well, we are incredibly mission-driven at Ellevest. The whole concept here is that nothing bad happens when women have more money. And look, we pay so much attention to the gender pay gap, which is egregious, and we need to get rid of it. And it's moving in the right direction slowly. We pay very little attention to the gender wealth gap. Women today have only 32 cents to what a man has in terms of wealth. And in between the pay gap and the wealth gap is that we don't invest as much as men do, that we tend to have more debt than men do. And so Elevest is really working here for what are the things we can control helping women invest in order to close that wealth gap.
3: Can you talk to us about impact investing? Yeah. something we care about? We call it impact per share. You use similar terms. Women care, all people care, but women in particular seem to understand the new
4: world. Oh, we, we are hearing from women one after the other after the other. I understand my money is a form of power. I want to understand the impact that my money is having. Even if I don't even know what it is, what bank is it with? Am I happy to be supporting that bank? What company am I investing with? In fact, our private wealth business. Jim, I wasn't. we weren't going to have one. I said, let's focus on digital. Let's focus right. on young women, newer to investing, get them started on the right foot. And then we had some really tremendously successful women come and say, look, I'm tired of supporting companies and institutions that haven't supported me, and I'm tired of having my money managed at a place where I don't see myself reflected or where I wouldn't want my daughter to work. And so we said, okay, let's build out a private wealth business, and part of that are our intentional impact portfolios, which really help women invest oftentimes in other women and companies that advance women.
3: Now, I I know you're private, but I have sources, (laughs) and they tell me that that business is uh, in, in a very tough market. Yeah. It's just on fire because you're really the only one that has it. Just tell us how it works. Do you put down what you care about or are your people just sensitive to certain um, silos of what's going wrong?
4: Well, what we can actually do is sit down with each individual client and almost track out a mission statement for what is important to me in my life. All right. Then how do we express that while certainly looking to drive market like returns, not to give up returns? But how do we, you know, how do we think about it? It's not just the first level. Oh, I like advancing women. That's great. But also things like gun violence disproportionately affects women. Online privacy issues disproportionately affect women. The climate deteriorating disproportionately affects women. Why? Because if they don't have the resources to leave places that are hard hit. And so we go not one level, but two and three levels deep, sort of investing 4.0, and really help people express their values into their investment portfolio. All
3: right, so I bumped into a prominent in, in, uh, investment manager, woman, mm-hmm. hedge fund manager, who is listening, and I'm saying the similar things that you mm-hmm. are. Uh, and, and she said to me, you know what? You, that doesn't impact the companies at all. So what's the difference? What does it matter? I need you to answer that for me because I know both you and I think it yeah. does matter.
4: In, in, oh, it can affect the companies tremendously and in, in terms of their performance. First of all, there's all the research that says diverse leadership teams lead to outperformance across a range of metrics. But then we've also seen, Jim, in these, this Me Too times up moment. And if you're not treating women well within your company, right. it can have real negative financial results. And, you know, I don't have to go on and on about it, but there's no reason that doing good things for the world for half of the population leads to worse Financial results. It's just you can't convince me. And the research doesn't hold that up.
3: OK, look, I, also, I can't. Uh, you've been a great uh, research director, you know, so much. And I just need your solid perspective for our viewers at home. We're so concerned. Uh, something that actually can physically hurt people, Corona. Is affecting this, oh. and I need another. I need a person who's level-headed right. to be able to put a little history, a little perspective, so people just don't put their money yeah. in a treasury that you know you're from now. They'll regret.
4: Right. Well, I understand, and look, I fully understand that it can drive you berserk. I mean, I totally get it. I'm like, oh, let's not look right. screen right now. But look, Jim, for really young people like you and me. Right. You. you know, stocks are on sale. They may be on yes. further sales yes. but for young people like us who are net buyers of stock, you know, this is a yes score. And look, we we understand if you had invested on any given day since the nineteen twenties and had stayed in the market for fifteen years, regardless of the day, your chances of a positive return were ninety nine percent. There you go. And so for young folks like us. Having this long-term perspective is the key. You should be, I hate to say it, celebrating.
3: Well, you know, stocks can be historically cheap and get historically cheaper. But don't you want to buy the historically
4: cheaper? Well, but that's why you want to make investing a habit. It should be yes. a bit out of every paycheck so that you're evening that out over time. That's the way we recommend it. Elvis, a bit out of every paycheck.
3: Your success is not only women's success, it's everybody's success. Oh, thank you. And thank you. we just you. so appreciate everything. Happy 15th
4: anniversary. Oh, thank you, and
3: happy International Women's so, Day. Well, and
4: also, it's 15 years since UNC came, the UNC basketball team right. came that behind year. They won that year. Nine points Boy, behind Duke. Good. With less than three minutes, this is one of the great days of my life.
3: You, yes, <laughs> you remember the, remember the the where it was?
4: It was in Chapel Hill. Yes, it was. Yes, okay. I was that's, there.
3: Uh, okay, and Sally Kronchek, so terrific, co-founder and CEO of L Invest. Hey, look into this. This is mission driven, and that's how you have to invest these days. Men money's back in. Right. Is time is over the light real and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, that is over the light round. because I'm going to start with Kurt in Illinois.
5: Kurt, yes, good afternoon. First time call. long time listener. Excellent. Our question is on AES.
3: Well, you know what? Uh, I actually like AES, it's a decent, decent, um. Uh, utility, but I actually prefer. Let's switch the letter AEP, which is a more safe utility, and that's why I want to play it. Let's go to Lionel, in Florida. Lionel. Hey, hey Jim, how you doing? Booyah, brother! Booyah, my friend. What's cooking? Got on Portola. I'm in for like twenty five a share. Am my- I? She's they have just crushed that thing. Yet you know, I thought it had some interesting opportunities. I know I had some bad news, but ah, I, I bless hey. it for I bless it for um, speculation. Let's go to Sergio in New York. Sergio. Jim, Jim Kramer, how are you? Sergio from New York. All right, Sergio. Uh, my stock is NEO. And- NEO of oh, you know, the Chinese car company? Oh, I, I hate it. I hate it. No, no. I mean, it's just been a disaster. We're just going to stay away. Uh, I do want the Chinese to get better. I'm warming up there. They're doing some interesting things to try to help. Okay? I like that. Let's go to Harlan in Washington, D.C. Harlan, on uh, Washington, State of Washington. Oh, I'm sorry, State Washington, Harlan.
5: Yeah,
3: that Smile Direct Club beat the lawsuits against them. Smile Direct? No, you know, I'd, I'd rather be in Casper than Smile Direct just to get some bad benchmarks out there. Let's go to Virgil in Virginia, Virgil. Hey, I got a question. A happy anniversary, Jim. Thank right, you. What's your take on F-H-A-F-H-N, First Horizon National Everyone has given up on this. You're getting First Horizon. This is rather extraordinary. At almost a 5% yield, it's doing remarkably well. I'm not allowed to own stocks. If I could own a stock, I think I'd own First, first Horizon. Ryan Jordan's a good manager. That is just crazy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the lightning round.
5: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD
2: Ameritrade. Hey, I'm
3: Kramer. For 15 years, I've uttered that phrase at the top of every show. And for 15 years, this show has sought to help regular investors like you get their heads around the market so that you can try to profit from it. My view has always been that owning a piece of American ingenuity, a piece of America itself, it's the best way to save for retirement or college or anything else. I am, maybe, some would say, a stock market televangelist because the market is the greatest engine of wealth creation in human history, and I celebrate it. I'm so grateful for our staff, our management, and most important, for you, the viewers, our customers. You're the ones who have kept this nutty one-man business show alive. I, you know, I always wanted to be on Broadway, wanted to be a triple threat man, but I couldn't sing, couldn't dance, and frankly, I can't even remember lines. So I got the next best thing. An hour and eight with a monologue, some skits, some interviews, rap. And I enjoy it as much as the day we started. But this is no time to be wistful. We are in the midst of a great civil war, as Lincoln would say, against an unseen virus that I fear is about to, let's say, sweep the country. Now, some people say that's fear-mongering. I don't think it is. This virus spreads rapidly, and we haven't done enough to stop it. It just seems to go from one place to another like a wildfire I used to cover when I was a reporter. That said, I don't want you seeing visions of Stephen King's The Stand, arguably his best book, or for that matter, Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, a much better read than Robinson Crusoe. The vast majority of people who come down with the coronavirus will be fine. It's not the end of the world. It's more like one of the most, if not the most, horrendous flu seasons since the Spanish flu. Okay, that's nothing great, but it is nothing bubonic. And I often felt like today and yesterday and the day before that people thought it was bubonic. However, it's also a lot more disruptive and paralyzing and frightening than the flu because there is no vaccine and there are uh, far more deaths than we have seen from flus in most of our lifetimes. And I'm betting it will create a lot more havoc, maybe a lot more havoc than I'm hearing from the Trump administration and what they're expecting. At least, according to my old partner, Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, whom we spoke to this morning on Squawk on the Street. See, my guess is COVID-19 will challenge or possibly defeat in some places our public health systems in many jurisdictions because it's spreading so quickly. And the agencies that are supposed to be fighting it are severely underfunded. And that is just a fact. That's not fear. That's fact. Larry explained how 80 percent of the people who catch this thing get better pretty easily. But that meant that a staggering 20 percent might not. Maybe they get very sick, much smaller percentage dying. Because this is a new virus, we haven't built up any kind of immunity to it like we have with most other diseases. In theory, everyone could get it. But even if only half the population gets sick, that translates to 30 million people who could be at risk for a hospital stay and we don't have that many beds. (laughs) We don't have 30 million hospital beds. Again, realism. Look, I would love to tell you that everything's going to be fine. That's not what I do. Try to put it in perspective. On top of that, two-thirds of our economy is a service-based economy, and the service industry could break down here because people are choosing to stay home so they don't get sick. They're working at home. They're staying out. They're not going out. So it is easy to see how this outbreak could lead to a recession because many companies in the service industry are heavily indebted, and they could fail if their customers don't come by. And that could lead to some real hits to bank balance sheets as strong as they are, and they're much stronger than they were any time that I can ever recall. Now, I know we got a blazing high unemployment number this spring, and that's true. But with the chilling effect of this virus, I'm betting next month will be a different story. So, why not just sell everything then? Well, for that, I got to fall back on our 15 years of investing together. While there could be more selling going forward, and wouldn't shock me. I told you last night, it's not done. I think opportunity is already knocking in the form of great stocks that keep getting mauled simultaneously with bad ones by the S&P futures which, of course, are trading in unison lockstep with bonds. Rates go down, stocks get crushed. In some ways, this moment's harder to fathom than the financial crisis was. When things got really bad in 2008, it was clear that you needed to dump everything to sidestep a massive decline. Banking system was crumbling, liquidity vanished. Maybe there'd be nationalizations. This time, I think liquidity could vanish for the cruise lines, the airlines, maybe hotels, restaurants. It wouldn't surprise me if some of them can't make make it as they're currently capitalized. These dividends for some of them are certainly in jeopardy. But other than those groups... I think actually the damage will be contained, with the possible exception of the overextended oil business, which people always talk about as $300 billion, and I think it's about half that. What makes this thornier than the Great Recession is that this time it's not just our money, it's our lives. Our lives are on the line. Now, I am not an epidemiologist, and I don't want to minimize the public health concerns, but I believe we will beat this. And when that happens, the market will come roaring back. That's why you shouldn't sell everything. You're betting against American ingenuity. Suckers bet. Let me put it one more way. You understand it. There's always a bull market somewhere. I don't know when the averages will bottom, but eventually there'll be bargains. Some are even available now. And as always, I hope to find them for you. Stay with Kramer. I'd thank so many people today. Of course, Regina Gilgan, our fabulous executive producer. I couldn't believe I saw Cliff Mason, our head writer and only writer. That's my sister, Nan's boy. And so many other great people, but mostly you. We do the show for you, and it never, ever gets old for us because of that. Like I said, it's always been more to so my pumps aren't fine Just for you, right here, man? I'm Jim Kramer. I'll see you Monday. CBC Special Report, Markets in Turmoil, starts right now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx.